0: And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Adam, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice. Let me say, I heard his voice. Heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid. Just a quick reference. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Somebody say, I knew that. But by it being the first book of the Bible, it's also where life begins. Which means everything that happened in Genesis is the first time it ever happened. So when Adam and Eve were married, it was the first marriage ever recorded. When Cain killed Abel, it was the first murder. When Eve ate the mango, it was the first mango that was ever consumed. And when Adam hid From God. It's the first time man has ever hidden from God. Now, man is hidden from God for centuries since. But it's the first time, and and listen to what he said. He said, I heard your voice, and I was afraid. Yo, we're getting ready to fast and pray for 21 days for the goal of hearing God's voice. And our response to his voice shouldn't be hiding. See, God, you're the one that we're seeking. But he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Depending on what part of the country you come from. Maybe naked, but naked where I'm from. And I hid myself, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman. Here comes the blame game. That woman, he blames the woman and God that you may she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Blame game. She said, that serpent, God, that you made, deceived me, and I ate. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, our prayer today is simple. We want to know you. God, I pray that your spirit would overwhelm us. God, we want to see you like we've never seen you before. We want to hear you speak. And God, we're making a commitment, God, that as you meet us, as you speak to us, we're not going to run and hide. But God, we're going to respond. We will obey. You're the one that we long for. And a little bit of a less serious note, God, I pray that you would vanquish every titan that is in our way. That the ravens once again will feed the prophet as they did in scripture, for they are your ravens. In Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. Go ravens. Uh, <laughs> it's my microphone. I could pray what I want to pray. You can judge me if you want, By best and some Rescues fans wish they had a prayer. Uh, oh, too soon? Too soon. <laughs> you made it playoffs for the first time this century. Okay, so we're in week two <laughs> of a series called Brick by Brick. Somebody say Brick by Brick. And the whole thought, the heart behind this series is how do we rebuild after a storm? Maybe the storm was 2020 where we were looking to rebuild just being around people. Yeah, I've been around people in the last like four weeks and somebody sneezed. And you're like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need to choke that down, eat that, do something. I'll be sneezing around me. Like, we got to learn again just how to be human and how to be around people. Maybe you're rebuilding after a health crisis or rebuilding after a divorce or rebuilding after a job loss or whatever it may be. The fact of the matter is we all go through storms, and when the storm has gone by, it's time to Rebuild. I always start my messages with an analogy, and the thought just crossed my mind how reliant I am on my GPS. I don't know about you, but there is nowhere that I drive that I do not first pull out my phone and punch in my destination to where my anybody like that, you just some of y'all just stubborn. You're just like, I know where I'm going, I don't need a GPS. I'm the guy. I I could be coming to church. I can drive here blindfolded. I am still going to put it in my little app before I come because it's going to tell me what obstructions and what traffic is in my way. Come on, Baltimore, and I am not driving all the way out there if I don't know what's in my way. There's all these unnecessary arguments going on in our country right now. One of those dumb arguments is what's better, iPhone or Android. I don't know why that's an argument. Everybody knows it's Apple. God believes in Apple. End of story, end of argument. One day there's gonna be an Android rep in a service, I'm gonna get jumped after service, pray for me. (laughs) Another one of those dumb arguments is what's the best app to use for destinations? Some people use the maps that's on the iPhone. Some people use Google. I use Waze because the Holy Spirit, you see all spirit-filled people, Baltimore, you get me. God will lead you with Waze. Why do I like Waze? Because Waze is as ignorant as I am. Waze will have you drive through someone's backyard just to avoid 30 seconds of traffic. You ever punch Waze in? And it has you driving to like Ohio, and you're like, this isn't, Waze like, trust me. You don't wanna go down 95 at this hour. This is the, f- gets you off exit just to get back on 30 seconds, but hey, you missed 10 seconds of traffic. <laughs> Y'all sound like some saints in here. But before you can go anywhere with this app, it asks you two questions. The first question it always ask you is, what's your destination? Where are you going? Matter of fact, the GPS is useless if you don't have a destination. It says, hey, let us know where you want to go. Put in your desired destination. Actually, you got to put your destination in before you could even start. Without a destination, it's just a pointless map that shows you where you are. But with a destination, it now gives you step-by-step, turn-by-turn directions to get to where you need to go. This isn't the message. This is just a free addendum because I've been out for two weeks. Hey, don't start 2021 without a destination in mind. Don't just start embarking on this year. Come on, Baltimore. Don't just start spending your money. Without financial goals for this year, what, what you, this is the year you pay off your student loan. No, 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 they're going to forgive it. No, they're not. You know who's going to pay it off? You. This year, next year, whatever you decide to. But it's you. <laughs> Pray for me. You don't got no faith, Pastor. Yeah, anyway. Don't just spend money this year. Have a goal. Don't just spend time with your children. Have a parenting goal. Don't just be married for another year. Have a plan for your marriage. Don't just come to church every Sunday. Have a plan or a goal for your faith. The Bible says where there's no vision, people cast off. Strange, so many people we kind of just tripped into 2021. We're like, mama, we made it. Yeah. Well, now we're here. What you gonna do with it? Have a goal. There, there was a professor, Dr. Gail Matthews, she's a professor of psychology at the University of Dominican. Don't I sound educated? And through her research, she discovered that you are 42% more likely to accomplish your goals. If you write them down, just the simple task of taking a pen, not your phone, but a pen and paper and writing down a financial goal or a health goal or a relational goal or just writing down your 40 because you're now committing to it emotionally just by writing it down. By the way, just quick commercial break in your seat. You would have seen one of these prayer guides. If you're watching online, go to yourdestiny.church forward slash prayer after I'm finished preaching. Don't go there now. But uh, And you can get uh, this prayer guide. And there's so many different prayers. There's warfare prayer. There's the tabernacle prayer. You can pray through um, the, the, the Lord's prayer and all that other good stuff. But right on page 28 is my favorite part of the prayer book. And by the way, I think this is the most valuable resource Destiny Church has ever produced. And on page 28, it's blank. You know why? Because it's waiting for you to write something. On this side, I've done this for the last eight years straight. You just write, hey, here's what I'm believing God for. Here's what I'm seeking him for for this year. And then you write down the date that you started praying. I don't know about you, but my prayer life suffers from amnesia. I'll pray something straight for like three days. Doing good. Seven days, maybe. Maybe. After a week or two, I kind of forget because I've moved on. And there's something about writing it down that brings me back to the same place. So this is me, I'm, I'm gonna flex on you just a little bit. I'm, I'm your pastor. <laughs> I don't do that often. I would do that, what, twice a year. One when I'm asking you to come to 21 Days of Prayer, then now. Take some time today. Just steal away, maybe with your spouse, by yourself, with the friend, or whatever, and spend some time just writing down Here's a personal goal that I have in these areas of my life. And here's a faith goal that I can't accomplish, but I'm believing God to do in my faith and my health and my relationship and my finances, on and on and on. In Dr. Gail's research, here's what she found. That 42% chance goes up to 78% if you have the guts to tell another human being. Not just writing down your goal, but if you would tell. Somebody say connect groups. If you would tell somebody else, this is the year I'm going to get in shape. This is the year I'm going to stop living off of credit cards. This is the year that I'm committing to Christ or whatever it may be. This could be the year that you accomplish more than you ever asked, thought, or imagined. If you want to go somewhere, you got to start with the destination. Somebody say destination. But there's a second question that your GPS asks you. First, it asks you, where are you going? Somebody say, where am I going? But then it asks you, Where are you? Because before you can go where you need to go, you need to define where you are. Matter of fact, I can't give you directions to your destination until I know where you're coming from. Because where you're coming from determines the directions of where you're trying to go. One thing I love about a GPS is it doesn't count on our intelligence. So if we can't quite tell it where we are, it has this little blue button with these two words, my location. And what that really means is, hey, come find me. And all you hit is my location. And it tells you where you are. And as soon as you find out where you are, then you can figure out how to get to where. Adam, where are you? The Bible says that God came into the garden as he did every day in the cool of the day. And he looked around and he didn't see anybody and he said, Adam, where are you? By the way, whenever God asks a question, please understand, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. God has never asked a question that he did not know the answer to. He wasn't saying, Adam, where are you? Because God couldn't find him. He said, Adam, where are you? Because Adam didn't realize the state of his life. I have a question for you. Where are you? I'm sitting in this room, I'm in Baltimore. I'm watching in my living room, I'm watching at Target. No, no, no. Where are you? Where's your soul? Where's your hope? Where's your vision? Before you can rebuild anything, you first have to assess, where am I? What do I have? 2016 it was a few months after Hurricane Katrina uh, hit uh, New Orleans, and a group of friends, of ministry that we were a part of, we, we got together. And there was actually thousands of us that we went down to New Orleans to help rebuild. And we kind of, you know— College students, Christians, we were ready to go and just help change the world. And we got on a plane and we just had this picture that we were gonna go down there and kind of like Habitat for Humanity type deal. We we're gonna rebuild people's houses. Well, we got down there, first of all, we spent 10 days in a FEMA tent eating mystery meat. And to this day, I don't know what that meat was. I'd never seen anything like it before. and never would see anything like it again. But we get down there and for 10 days straight, we didn't get to rebuild anything. They'd pick us up and drop us in different neighborhoods. We'd go from house to house, asking for help, and nobody asked us to help rebuild. Everybody asked us to help clear out. Because before you can rebuild anything, you got to clear out everything that's been destroyed. We went in there and we grabbed fridges and moldy couches and ripped up carpets and we tore down drywall and pulled out installations. We tore those houses down to the studs. The reason why they were torn down to the studs is because they had to assess what can we keep, what can we rebuild on, As we're taking this journey this year of rebuilding our faith and marriages and finances and businesses, the first thing we have to figure out is what do we have to build on? Where do we start? I wanna give you just three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts. The first thought is this, we need to ask ourselves, what have I lost? Before I can start rebuilding, before, oh, 2021 is going to be my year. Yeah, but before we do that, we need to take an inventory. We need to take an assessment. We need to figure out what have I lost. My parents uh, were born in an island called Barbados. They came here in their early 20s. so I'm a first-generation Bayesian. Now, I was born in Baltimore, uh, so I'm American. So what they call me is a Bayesian Yankee. Which means you're kind of American, you're kind of Bayesian. And pastor, which one are you? It depends on the day. Actually, it depends on the time of day. If it's dinner time, I'm Bayesian. <laughs> Jerk chicken, peas and rice, cassava, black pudding, pickles, pig's feet, I'm Bajan. <laughs> <laughs> if it comes to driving, I'm definitely American because can't drive to save their life. So it all depends. I'm selective in both. But when I was 13 years old, just turned a teenager, they said, hey, we're going to take a family trip to Barbados. Now, if you have a 13-year-old, you know it's just a different season of life, especially if it's a boy. I was kind of just going through this stage where I wanted to be a thug. Now, I grew up in the suburbs. There wasn't a thuggish bone in my body. I was more like a run-a-thug, but I just had in my mind I wanted to be a thug. My dad had something different in mind. I wanted to wear my jeans down here. I wanted my ears pierced and all this jewelry. My dad wanted me in khaki pants, a collared shirt, a sweater vest, and a pocket protector. And he was not going to invest in any of my thuggish ways. So I was left to my own devices and seen as the fact that I was unemployed and lacking finances. The only thing I can do to invest in my thug life was to go down to Claire's and buy me necklaces. So every three weeks, I would go down to Claire's and I would buy a necklace. You would say, why three weeks? Because Claire's necklaces turn green every three weeks. It kind of had a shelf life. So I'd get me a Claire's uh, necklace, and he wouldn't let me get my ears pierced, so I went down to Claire's and got the little stick-on earrings. Remember the ones that had like little Scotch tape on the back, and I'd stick my earring in It only lasts there for about 30 minutes or whatever it may be. And, Went down to Walmart and I got me a, a, a gold Casio watch. It wasn't really gold, it was 1999 with a leather bracelet, and come on now, Mr. T didn't wear a leather bracelet, so I went and bought me another, you know the little elastic bracelets that they had for watches? Got me a gold one, switched out the bands, so had a gold watch, had all these chains on, these stick-on earrings. I had my Mr. T starter set. I was, I was a thug, baby, because I'm a thug. Oh, anyway, you can tell when I got saved too. <laughs> fast forward in the story we're in Barbados I'm 13 years old which means I'm too cool to go swimming so all my family's out in the ocean and they're swimming and I'm kind of just sitting on the shore because I'm a thug you know my earrings will fall off and I'm just kind of enjoying myself but it was just too much fun so after a while I'm like I'm going swimming by the way don't do it now Google Bathsheba Bay in Barbados the most beautiful beach you've ever seen in your life white beaches, not blue water, clear water. You can go out up to your neck and see your feet. There's a two-story boulder about 100 yards out in the ocean, the water. It was amazing. So I took off all my necklaces. I took off my watch. My earrings had already fallen off, so I didn't need to take those off. Actually, the only piece of real jewelry I had was a ring that I had stole, I mean, borrowed from my father. It's the only real piece of jewelry I had it was this ring. It said R because his name is Ronald. My name is Steven, so I needed an R ring. <laughs> so I take the watch off, the ring, the necklace, all, and I put it in my pocket. I had the little khaki pants with the little uh, little pouch on the side because I was a thug. So I put everything in my pouch, and I just kind of, had no intention of swimming. I just kind of out and waited out in the water <laughs> Next thing I know, a wave splashes. Oh, that's kind of fun. Everybody's yelling and screaming. About an hour later, I'm swimming. I'm flipping in the way- I'm just I'm having the time of my life. I say, hey, it's time to go. And I get back to the beach, and I dry off, and I go to put my, my, my Mr. T starter set back on, put my hand in my pocket, and there's a lot of sand in my pocket. So I had to feel around in the sand to find my watch and my necklace and my dad's ring that I had st- borrowed. <coughs> can't find it, so I start piling out the sand. It's not until I emptied out my pockets that I realized all of the jewelry was gone. You can't ask me when I lost it because I have no clue. Last thing I know is I know I put it in my pocket But then I got hit by a few waves. And at some point, I lost what was in my pockets. I can't tell you what I lost. I don't know when I lost it. I actually didn't know that I lost it until I went to reach for it. See, one of the reasons why it's so important to assess our losses is because oftentimes you won't know what you've lost until you go reach for it. And when you go reach for it and it's not there is the worst time to realize that you had lost it. You see, it's when God came to do a miracle for Abram that he realized that he had lost his faith. The wave of barrenness had hit Abram's house so much that he had lost his faith that God could do something supernatural. And it's not till God came and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abram heard himself say, no, God, you can't. What? God can't? God, you can't do that. Do it through my servant. What really happened? Abram went to reach for his faith, and it wasn't there. It wasn't until God, the God who looks at dead things and calls them alive, was standing in front of Martha there to raise Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't until then that Martha realized she had lost her faith. The death of her brother had stolen her hope in God. And here she is looking at the resurrection, the truth, and the life. And all she can think of saying is, I'll see him in heaven one day. It wasn't until that father was standing before Jesus looking at his son struggling with epilepsy and seizures that he had realized that he had lost his faith. When he said, God, I know that you can heal, but I don't really believe. Help my, what have you lost? As the waves of 2020 have hit you, as the waves of divorce and depression and bankruptcy, as just life has hit you, what have you lost? Have you lost your hope? Have you lost your innocence? Are you just one skeptical, sarcastic pessimist? I'm not hopeful for 2021. I mean, look what happened when I was hopeful for 2020. (laughs) See where hope got you. So I ain't hoping nothing. (laughs) I hope the Ravens win. (laughs) Where'd you lose your hope? Your joy for tomorrow. Your love for where did you? Where'd you lose it? God comes to Adam. He said, "Adam, where are you?" Adam said, "I'm hiding." God said, why? Adam said, because I'm naked. Can I help you with something? Adam was always naked. He wasn't just naked after he had sinned. He was naked before he had sinned. So watch this. Adam didn't lose what he thought he had lost. Adam lost his clothes. No, he never had any clothes. So he didn't lose what he, you know what Adam lost? He lost his vision. He lost his way of seeing life. He lost his perspective. You didn't lose your job. You lost your perspective. You didn't lose your ambition and your hope for tomorrow. You lost your perspective. You didn't lose your love for people. I can't tell you how many of us are paranoid. I don't want to see another person. I don't want to be around anybody. It's just me. You still love people. You've just lost your perspective. God says, hey, it's time to start looking around and see. What have I lost? One of the greatest things that happens when a storm hits is the power goes out. Matter of fact, it's usually the first thing that happens long before the waves start crashing, whether it's lightning or whatever. The whole area goes dark, and the whole question is how fast can we get the power back? Because as soon as we get the power back, we can get the light back on, and as soon as we get the lights back on, we can see what the damage is. Here's what Paul prayed in the church of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one, verse 18, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart, somebody say perspective. Perspective. Can, Can I say it this way? Paul said this, he said, I pray that the way you see life will have enough light to see hope. Paul said, I pray that your heart has enough light so that you can see that there's still hope. My concern is that seven months of being locked up in our house has turned the lights on and we can't see hope anymore. My concern is political unrest and division and elections have turned the lights off and we're not able to see that God has not flinched in a second. My concern is that health crisis or the economic crisis or that season of depression has turned the lights off in your heart and kept you from seeing that there's still hope in Jesus Christ. He said, my prayer is that the light of your heart will be enlightened so that you can have hope of God's call and what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers. I believe we're in a season where God is getting ready to turn the lights back on, that you can see your greatest days are ahead of you. Matter of fact, as I've been praying over this message and praying over you, God told me to tell you that he is going to restore every single thing that you lost. Not just restore what you've lost in 2020, but restore things that you lost in your childhood, that you didn't even realize that they're not in your pockets anymore. God says, I'm going to restore your hope and your joy and your vision and your ambition and your purpose in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 3 it says this God your God will restore everything that you've lost he'll have compassion on you he'll come back and pick some of you feel like your heart has been broken God says I'm gonna pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered I love this part no matter how far away you end up Feel like there's someone that depression has driven you away from friends and family. You find yourself having gone further than you ever thought possible. God says, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. I'm gonna bring you back. God, your God, will get you out of there and bring you back to the land your ancestors once possessed. It will be yours again. God will give you a good life. Kick rocks, all these doomsday preppers. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, I'm going to give you a good life. And watch this. Make you more numerous than your ancestors. God says, I'm not going to take you back to where you were. I'm going to take you back, and it's going to be better than you thought it was. Before we can rebuild, the first thing is we got to figure out what we've lost. The second thing is this. What have you gained You see, we don't think about this when it comes to a storm, but every time a storm hits, you lose some things, and you gain some things. You may be looking at that divorce, or that foreclosure, or that sickness, or that loss of a loved one, that tragedy that you walk through, and all you can see is all the things that you've lost, but hear me, if you look at it right, you've gained some things, When the disciples were in a storm with Jesus, the Bible says that the waves were high and crashing upon the boat, and Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat. Here's my prayer in 2021. Jesus, teach me how to sleep in a storm. Our goal is to be like Jesus, amen? And when storms hit, Jesus goes to sleep. I didn't figure that one out yet. When storms hit, I'm up at 2 a.m. trying to figure out who can I call, how can I figure, what door can I kick in? I need to learn how to sleep in a storm like Jesus did it says that he was asleep in the boat. That storm stole their faith. Not only did it steal the disciples' faith, but it stole their trust that God actually loved them. It's amazing how we go through a storm, and that storm makes us question God. They looked at Jesus and said, don't you care that we're dying in this storm? Now, that's a different message for a different day. How are you going to die with Jesus in the boat? I've always said this before. Jesus came on the earth to die in a shipwreck. No, 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 that's not what i said. He's dying on a cross. He's dying on a, ship, not in a shipwreck. So simply the fact that he's in a boat and not on a cross, he ain't going to die now. If he ain't going to die, I ain't going to die. Different story, different day. He so said, don't you care that we die? Jesus gets up and he says, you've lost your faith. And then he looks at the storm and he said, peace, be still. Hear me, I don't wish a storm on anybody. But without a storm, you'll never know the God that can quiet waves. You see, before the storm that you just went through, all you knew was Savior God and Emmanuel God and God your Prince of Peace, but it's after that health crisis that you realize he's also Jehovah Rapha, my healer, that when the doctor says there's nothing that they can do, God stepped in and brought supernatural healing. I don't wish job loss on anybody, but it's when money gets tight that you begin to realize that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides all of my needs. It's not until I have some enemies that I realize that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Lord raises up a standard against him. Hear me, it's the storm that tells us how good God is. I wish I had some people that had enough faith to praise God for the storms that you've been through, understanding I didn't want the storm, I didn't wish for the storm, I didn't pray for the storm, but I'm grateful for the storm because it showed me how good my God is. Job said this in Job 42.5. He said, I had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job said there's a difference between hearing about God and actually seeing God. Y'all mind if I act like an old preacher? Te- technically, I am an old preacher. Y'all know I've been preaching for 10 years? I was ordained 2011. This is year 10. I feel like an old guy. This is what the old preachers say. Here's the problem with these young preachers. And with these young cats, they don't know what they preach. Here's the problem with young preachers. Somebody say, this is a Bible. It's God's word. Everything in it is true. So if I open this Bible and I tell you what's in it, I'm right. Period. Amen. I got some amens in Baltimore, Columbia. I was like, where are you going with this? It's God's word. Anything I tell you out of this is true. So let me say amen. amen. That doesn't mean I know what I'm talking about. Because I can read it and tell it to you. So let me say preach a little bit. That's why the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The Bible's good news. I could just read it by myself. Why do I need to hear you tell it to me? Because there's a difference between reading the truth and experiencing the truth. It's a different story when I read in my Bible that God is a healer and that's great, thank you, Jesus. It's a different per- altogether. When the doctor gave my mom three months to live and she went on to live for another 13 years because Jehovah Rapha, the healer, stepped in. Hear me, it's the storm that... It's the storm that takes theory and makes it reality. It's the storm that crosses you over from theology to experience. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of Christians that believe things that they've read, but you've never experienced it. And that's why every little wave is rocking your faith. Because you have an intellectual faith. But when I've walked through some things, when I've experienced some things, when I know a way though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for my God is with me, his rod and his staff. It's not something that I'm reading. I've experienced and I've seen the comfort of God. You've gained some things through the storms you've been through. I feel so often we curse our storms. and By cursing our storms, we miss the value in them. I ain't going back to 2020. Somebody say amen. But 2020 taught me how to rest. Come on now. Some of us take pride in going to bed at 2 a.m. and waking up at 5. Hair falling out because you keep scratching it from stress. Got so many bags in your eyes, you, like, you are at Target. <laughs> oh, I'm still ignorant in 2021, by the way. There's something about being locked up in your house for seven months that you're like, you know what? I think I will take a nap. <laughs> I haven't done this since I was four, but let's give this a show. Ooh, this, this is nice. 2020 taught me how to value relationships. Isn't it amazing how you took things for granted until they were taken away from you? People you should have gone and visited. I'm coming, I'm coming. You knew you weren't going. It's not until you couldn't get on a plane that you wanted to. Now when you say I miss you, you actually mean it. 2020 taught me that I don't need a building to encounter God. You can lock a building, but you can't lock me out of the presence of God. Because all I need a place is to create my heart into an altar and begin to say, God, you said that as I hunger and I thirst for righteousness, I will be filled. What have you gained in the storm that you've been through? I wouldn't wish a divorce on anybody. But on the other side of it, you realize God's a sustainer, God's a restorer and that your best days are still ahead of you and not behind you. I wouldn't wish a foreclosure on anybody or the close of a business or the job loss, but it's on the other side of that that you realize that was never my source in the first place. God always has been, and he always will be my... Last thing is this complaint. Let's end this play. Three questions you need to ask. One, what have I lost? What have I gained? And how do I get it back? God, God said he's gonna restore... Everything that I've lost, but pray for me. I'm ignorant. It's like, okay, but where do I go to get my refund check? <laughs> you gonna just deposit it? Do I need to come pick it up? Like you didn't let me know where do I go? <laughs> God, where you handing out restoration, God? I just need to know where do I come and get it? You get it from a Revelation chapter two, verse five. He said this: Think about those times of your first love. He said, how different now? Here's what God said. He said, and turn back to me again. And work as you did before. Here's what you have to understand. Every promise of God is an if-then promise. If you, then God. Here's the problem. Every if-then promise has an inverse promise. If you don't, then God won't. God says, go back and do what you did at first. Return to your first love and everything. He said, if you don't, I will come and remove your candlestick from its place among the churches. Part of the prophetic gift of my life is I say things as they are, even if it's uncomfortable to hear. This is kind of a warning. There's some people that have lost things in 2020 and they're never going to get it back. Not because God's not a restorer, but because in order for God to restore, we have to turn back to Him. You can't turn your back on God, who is the restorer, and expect everything to be restored. And we're out here trying to get my job back and trying to get my house back and trying to get my relationships back. and try to Listen, you didn't lose those things. You lost your perspective. If you get your perspective back, you'll realize all those things are right where you left them, just better than you left them. God says it's turning back to me. that we're, so Me and my wife, we were on date night. I'm laying this We were on date night on Friday. And uh, we used to take date night for granted. But now that uh, we were locked in our house with our kids for a long time, we really value date night. <laughs> We were out, and for some reason this Friday, we were just kind of talking how it was before we got married. Before we got married, I lived in Owings Mills, which is close to our Baltimore campus. This is where God lives, by the way. Um, My wife lived in Lanham. Um, That's what I call Samaria. If you've ever seen Lion King, it's right by the elephant graveyard. It's, It's on the edge of the prairie. So it took me 45 minutes, yes I was speeding, Calm down, to get from Owens Mills to Lanham to see my then girlfriend, my now wife. I made the drive every single day. That's commitment. And she was fine, so it was worth it. <laughs> she was crusty, I wasn't gonna drive. Anyway. <laughs> so I'd drive down there 45 minutes, I'd get there and I'd hang out in her house. It was me, her, and her mother. We we're never there by ourselves, just FYI. And there's Netflix and chill stuff, because we wasn't that holy, and neither are you. But that's February's series, so we'll worry about that later. <laughs> so I'd get there and watch, oh, it's good to see you. Ah, hey, let's watch TV. And after about three minutes of me being there, we'd sit down, we'd watch television, and she'd pass out sleep. I drove f- 45 minutes to see your fine self. And you won't sleep. And we're talking about this right? She said, oh, do you remember? Man, I just so miss, like, falling asleep in your arms. (laughs) All those were the days. You know how you have two different memories of the same event? She's like, oh, he would drive 45 minutes just for me to fall asleep in his arms. That's her story. My story is I drove 45 minutes for your trifling self just for you to fall asleep as soon as I got... Two different sides of the coin. He's like, man, I haven't fallen asleep in your arms in a long time. You're putting Zoe to bed and Roman to bed and put the dog to bed and <laughs> respond to this email and that and that. Man, remember the good old days. Do you remember the good old days with God? Do you remember back when you first fell in love with Jesus. When you just had a random worship music playing in the house, you're washing dishes and you're just singing. Next thing you know, tears are streaming down your face. So you just begin to think of that moment when all your guilt fell off. When that self-hatred and embarrassment fell off and you were overwhelmed with the grace and the love of God. Do you remember when you didn't need a band or Sunday to worship? All you needed was your Walkman. (laughs) Remember when you learned how to pray for the first time? You weren't really sure how to do it or if you were doing it right. You just know that they told you that if you pray, God would listen. You were like, uh, dear God, not really sure if I'm doing this right. Never really prayed much. But they told me if I did, that you'd listen. God, I don't even really need anything. I just wanted to say hi. Amen. Remember when you used to read your Bible and it would blow your mind? The idea that God calls you friend? Friend? He said, you're not my servant because a servant doesn't know what his master is. He said, I call you friend because a friend is in on all of the business. And when you just, God, you know me. You fashioned and formed me in my mother's womb. You called me before I was even born. God said, get back to that. He said, because if you begin to do the things that you did when you first fell in love, the light in your heart will turn back on and your perspective will be brought back. Hey, y'all, for the next 21 days, we're about to worship like we've never worshiped before. Not in church, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, in our homes. We're about to pray like we've never prayed before. We're about to study God's word in a way, praying, God, restore the joy of when I First believe. Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that we would fast for the next 21 days. Pastor, what does it mean to fast? It means you don't eat. Hold up now. Wait a minute. You ever see one of the movies where they're like getting ready to go into war and they're giving a speech? Like, we're going to take this city. Yeah. We're going to invade it. Yeah. And if we die, we're all going to die. Hold up. I didn't sign up for all that. That's this moment. We're going to pray. Yeah, we're going to worship. Yeah, we're going to fast. Hold up. What you talking about not eat? Like it's literally abstaining from food. Here's just a simple thought. If eating food caused separation from God in the beginning, Well, maybe abstaining from food will do the inverse and bring me closer to God. Hear me. It's food that changed Adam's perspective of his situation. Prior to eating that fruit, he saw that he was covered by God. And don't get caught up on the food because food's not evil, food's not sinful. Here's what Adam did. He tried to meet the needs of his flesh, absence of God. And whenever we try to meet our fleshly needs absent of God, it alters and distorts our perspective of life. So here's the deal. When I pray, I'm connecting to God. But when I fast, I'm disconnecting from the world. And it makes no sense to connect with progress when I'm still tethered to my past. I gotta let go of one thing and take hold of the other. So prayer is good. Fasting is better because what I'm telling my flesh is, you don't control me, you don't run me. It's God who is my source. So I'm doing a six to six fast from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm not eating anything, I'm not gonna lie. I woke up at 5.30 this morning and the temptation was real. Technically it's not six, I could eat now. (laughs) I didn't though, day one, score. (laughs) You do what works for you. Maybe say, hey, I'm not gonna eat meat for 21 days. Or I won't eat bread for 21 days or I abstain from sugar for pick something. Pick something that hurts. Like make it a real fast. Don't talk about I'm fasting from my kids for 21 days. I ain't gonna talk to them for 21 days. You did that all last year. That ain't that ain't fast. No, like God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn my plate down and turn my soul up because I long for you. Somebody say stretch it a little bit further. I ain't gonna flex on you. This ain't a pastor command. I'm just gonna ask strongly. Is that cool? How about we also fast from media? Just a thought. What would happen if you didn't watch the news for 21 days? Oh, no, Pastor. Well, God, I need, know, I need to know what's going on. Trust me. If drama happens, somebody's gonna tell you. You ain't gonna miss nothing. But what if we just disconnected from what's causing us a lot of stress and anxiety and worry and paranoia? You go right back to CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever you do, you could do that on January 31st. But how about until the 30th? We said, I ain't worried about all that right now. I'm going after God. And watch him meet you and speak to you in a way where you don't run and hide, but you run towards the voice. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. God, that you are the light of the world. You're the hope in the darkness. And God, you have such a great future for every single person under the sound of my voice. Hey, wherever you are, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. We've been doing this same prayer reflective moment for the last 10 years. The whole point of it is, hey, where am I? And where do I need to go? Maybe for some of you, you're realizing I'm a little deficient on my hope. If you're deficient in hope, it's because you're deficient in the light that is Jesus. Jesus. Maybe if you'd be honest, you'd Pastor, I'd never had the hope of Jesus. It's been a dark journey. But I want that hope in my life right now. If that's you wherever you are. It would be my greatest privilege, my honor to introduce you to the light of the world. Hope himself, Jesus Christ. Whether this is a first time or you're restoring a relationship with Jesus, can you pray this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being the light in the darkness. I'm praying that you would be the light in my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Be my Lord and my Savior. Use me for your glory. Restore your hope in me. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision ever? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.